Martin, we're just going to go ahead and dive right into this. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? So I guess to go with background, I'm a Bearden grad, one of the few here that are teachers and graduates. I went to UT, got a degree in political science, history minor, and then went into education, and this is my 10th year of teaching. Awesome. So if you got a degree in political science, what made you go to the AP Human Geography route? That's a great question. I had a choice between either going to law school or being a teacher, and um, I didn't really want to read all those books, so I became a teacher instead. Got it. And what interests you about AP Human Geography? Because one could argue it's not the most fun of classes. I believe that kid is you. Uh, That's fair. I, I was teaching Honors World History, and I went to a training, and they talked about AP Human Geography, and I was like, this is such a cool course. We need to bring it to Bearden High School. And Miss Nutter agreed, and she was been advocating for it, so we both said, let's start teaching AP Human Geography. We've kind of set up the county uh, with AP Human Geography now. So you started the curriculum at a, for AP Human Geography for Bearden High School, like it hadn't existed prior to. Right, yeah. Miss Nutter and myself were the only uh, AP Human Geography teachers when it started here at Bearden. Okay, fantastic. So I'm going to keep talking about AP Human Geography. What do you... What do you think is so important for freshmen to learn about uh, AP Human Geography, take the class? What's the value of it going into their high school career? It's, this sounds bad, but it's the easiest AP class that you can take. So it's a great entry-level class for kids to take AP, learn the ropes of like, you know, how to study for an AP exam, how to prepare for other AP classes. And really the content is so much fun to teach just because it's not like a U.S. history, which doesn't change. AP Human Geography is always evolving. So I always have something new to teach, um, which when you teach world history and you teach U.S. history and you teach government, you teach the same stuff over and over and it gets kind of boring. But with AP Human, there's always something new to add. Okay, awesome. I think that's very true. I know in my experience with AP Human Geography, it definitely set me up for AP Gov and other APs that I took in my years in high school. So do you think with AP Human Geography, do you have a lot of freshman students that come back to you, not just for AP Human, but come back to leadership? Yeah, I use AP Human kind of as a recruiting ground for leadership. Okay, and why do you think that's so successful? Is it because you're the teacher, or do you think there is some value that people learn out of AP Human to, that correlates with into the leadership curriculum? Um, one thing I would think is, because it's a year-long course, I really get to know the kids, whereas other semester-longs, you only know them for... You know, eighteen weeks. Yeah. So knowing them for a whole year, I get to know them a little bit more. So then I know who would benefit from leadership, who could handle the maturity level that it takes to be in that class, uh, and then it's just a great way to kind of continue that relationship that I build um, with them as freshmen. Yeah, fantastic. I also think to add on top of that, another recruiting ground is SGA. You're a big heavy hand in SGA as well. So you really you're dipping into like two different pools of that too. I'm guessing you recruit for SGA. Yeah, usually uh, most of my leadership students will then become members of SGA. Very so true. it's a good re recruiting round for SGA as well. Awesome. Very cool. Okay, and then kind of back to your background story. When did you first get passionate leadership? Because I think being an advisor in SGA and then teaching the class, there has to be somewhat of a, uh, it's like your niche Something like that. You would think that, uh, but actually, it, that's not how it all started. Okay. Uh, I had a, a teacher here at Bearden sign me up without, unbeknownst to me, uh, signed me up to be a advisor for the freshman class with SGA. 
And so I uh, started being an SGA uh, advisor, um, and then that led into Miss Harmon, who was here teaching leadership, and we started growing the leadership classes, and then I started teaching leadership. Okay, so you touched on an interesting point. So you used to co-lead leadership class. Mm -hmm. So when you made that transition to start leading by yourself, like what kind of impact do you think you built a better relationship, and did you think you had to step up as a leader when you had to do that? Yeah, I think really what what the turning point for me in leadership was when we hosted the state conference for SGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of my other co-advisors were out on maternity leave or returning from maternity leave, so it was all on me. And then I realized, okay, if I don't step up and learn some stuff, this is not going to run well. Um, and that kind of grew the passion for leadership because I was able to see firsthand, you know, the mistakes I made or versus or the things that I did well. And how to lead others that way. Yeah, okay. That, that, make, that makes sense. We're talking about freshman year with TSCC. It was about nine years ago. So, yeah, it would have been like my second year of really okay. teaching. Wow. So, you, you got in it very, very early. Yeah, I got thrown to the wolves. Yeah, so you talk about building a relationship with kids in your AP Human Geography class. And then they go into SGA, so that's another opportunity. And then they go into leadership, which is another opportunity. So you see these kids on average one to three hours a day of their everyday week. So what did those kids look like when, you know, your coworkers went on maternity leave or when they lead SGA? Like, what's that process? Who helps you out? And like, how do you help them grow as a leader? I think that's the whole point of Leadership One is that self-discovery. Usually Leadership One, they're all quiet and meek and mild and they don't know who they are, and they don't have their voice. And so the whole point of Leadership One is getting that leadership voice. And then once they have that, then they start adding on the responsibilities, and then they grow themselves. I'm just kind of there to kind of lead along the way and point out some things. Hey, this could happen. Watch out for this. But really, I think with leadership, it's a lot about failure. I learn way more about myself through failure than I do through success. And so I think letting kids fail is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. So talk to me about the other two leadership classes. You mentioned leadership one. So what does leadership two entail? And then what does leadership three and four entail? Obviously, leadership four has not happened. I'm sad I won't be a part of that, but I know it will. So the county came to us and said, we need to write the curriculum um, to get leadership to stay as a course. And so myself, Miss Nutter... Miss Moneymaker, Mr. Peterson, and Miss Eisen at the time, who's no longer here at Bearden, we wrote the curriculum to get approved by the state and the, the, the county. And so we had to kind of really create what is it going to look like. So we already, we already knew leadership one was self-discovery. And leadership two was about kind of finding that flaw in your own leadership and growing that. Um, but we hadn't had a lot of people in leadership two. That was usually a very small class. You know, we, I usually had about five to eight kids in Leadership 2. Now I have, I believe, 22. I think my class, we had about 15. Yeah. Yeah, but we started joining together with Leadership 1. And so the idea is Leadership 2 is taking that, what you've learned, and applying it. And then Leadership 3 is overall, what have you learned about yourself? What have you grown in? And now let's take that and you create your own project. You create your own type of leadership. So is it that you want to focus on this? Do you want to work on a project? It's really self-guided, self-paced, and I'm there just to kind of guide along the way where I'm more hands-on in Leadership 1 and 2. 
Leadership four we haven't had yet. It looks like we may have some. Uh, we have freshmen that have gone through the process. Um, and that'll be a process where I would like to work with the students to create what do they want to do in leadership four. My idea would be they would help leadership one and they would be a part of a leadership one. So they teach they, the habitudes. They would teach it more than me and then I would kind of sit back and guide from a distance and let them kind of take the wheel on what they've learned and, and teach the uh, younger students. Awesome. I think that's fantastic. So we kind of delved into the main, I guess, piece of this podcast, which is about leadership and kind of going through the stages of adolescence and young adult, me being and a young adult. So when you start off Leadership One, I'm sure the main question you lead is, what does it mean to be a leader? Mm-hmm. Or what makes or defines a leader? So what is that definition for you in today's world of Cody Martin? I think it, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the person because leadership is different for everybody. I think it depends on what your skills are, um, what your strengths and weaknesses are. For me personally, I look at leadership as relationship building. Uh, that's where I grow the most um, is building that relationship. You know, you look at different personality types and enneagrams and things like that. And, and I'm all about relationship building. So I spend a lot of time focused on getting to know the person. And by getting to know the person, that's how we build the trust. That's how we we grow as leaders, personally. But then you have people that look at it from a business standpoint. So it really just depends on what the individual's idea is of leadership and kind of what they want to get out of it. True. So has that definition always been like that, or has it evolved through your stages of life? Oh, it's definitely evolved. It, at first, I was really, I didn't share a lot about myself. We just kind of went through the curriculum and said, you know, these are different leadership types. Now I do a lot more sharing about myself. If you were to ask my students, uh, they would say they know me better probably than any other teacher on a personal level because I share a part of my life. And I do that so I can relate to those leadership students and because we can build that trust and we can grow from that relationship. Yeah, I, I, I think you've mentioned several times that you want to build a relationship and I think that's a very uh, key aspect to leadership. You know, you, you talked about how leadership is through different lenses. Does that mean that there's a level of like situational awareness a leader has to have to adapt and change? Is that what you meant by that statement? Or do you think everyone just has a different definition of leadership? I think it's both. We all have our own definition. There's a plethora of leadership books that highlight different aspects of leadership. That's why in Leadership 3, I have them pick their own book to read instead of me assigning the book because I'd rather them pick out a book that relates to their leadership. Um, So I think that, and then holistically, I think leadership is relationship building, personally. So... That's the way I teach it. If it, and I think it goes in the context of the business world, the personal world, um, that type of thing. So, yeah, I think you're hundred percent on the money. So you asked your leadership kids to read, but you didn't want to read the books in law school. Exactly. Got it. Awesome. Um, that makes that's great leadership right there. Setting the example. You know, sometimes it, it's important to do a little bit more than what you did and so got it so you really want them to be better than what you were exactly got it it's like you know with like i want my son to be a better version of myself i want my students to be a better version of me as a student understood okay fair very fair um i think you kind of you've really touched on you know your biggest aspect of leadership is relationship building 
and I think I would say that's a very uh, key component to leadership. Are there any other key aspects that you would that you think are a part of leadership? Well, I think it all goes it all goes builds with the relationship building. So the two things I focus on with with students is empathizing with them with them and listening to them. I think that's how you build relationship and you build trust. Yeah. Uh, you have to relate to the students. Um, the moment I stop relating to them, the moment is that's the moment I should stop teaching them. Uh, so I focus a lot on empathizing, sharing, and listening to what they have to say. Yeah. So why is empathy so important to you? Like, why did that your definition of leadership evolve to come to empathy being the driving force of it all? Because empathy is a way to relate to someone. So if we can't relate to one another, I can't teach you. If I don't know where you're coming from and if you don't know where I'm coming from. If I don't know your struggles and you don't know my struggles. So I'm not afraid to share my struggles with my students because I think whatever I'm struggling with, they may be struggling with. And that's going to build a tighter bond and that's going to help us work together and grow leadership. Yeah, so when you start off Leadership One and you kind of hit them strong with empathy, what's the normal reaction you get from your students? Does it take a while for them to be like, okay, I, I can trust Mr. Martin and his wisdom and what he's doing for us. I like the word wisdom. Yeah, uh, I know. I don't normally give you a lot of praise. but I think it takes them, especially if they've had me in like an AP Human Geography class, they're not used to that side because I'm a completely different teacher. I uh, would agree with that. So it takes them a while to like understand like this is a different kind of class. This is a different setup. This is a different Mr. Martin. Uh, once they realize that, then they open up. But it is a thin line. If... if if there's too much um, empathy and too much of a comfort level, there is the take advantage of the class and take advantage of the situation. So it's a thin line between opening up, but also let's get our stuff done and work on what we need to work on. Yeah, I agree. I think opening up is, for me, it's personally really hard to do. Um, I think you know there's a fine line between sympathy and empathy, and you're really adamant about empathy, which I think it build, tends to build relationships a little bit stronger mm -hmm. than uh, sympathy. So when you say that you open up with your students, there has to be some line where you cut it off or that you're like, oh, I can't go this far. And is it because you know, you're know you yourself not ready as the leader, or do you save those moments for when a student's struggling to something that you've gone through, and then you're like, you know what, I understand what you're going through, and here's why. Yeah, I think at the beginning... Most teachers would tell you this. When you're when you're being taught to be a teacher, it's don't let the personal line cross. Like don't share too much about yourself. You're there to teach, you're not there to like share your life story. And so the old adage is don't smile before Thanksgiving or you'll lose the classroom. So I think having to change the mindset of like it's okay to open up and share my life with the students when we're told when we're going through the teaching program, let's keep the lines where they are. Um, so the more comfortable I get, and I, and I think it's kind of like I grow more comfortable about my life, the more comfortable I am with sharing. Because I realize there's a lot of things that I've gone through that I've experienced in my life that high schoolers are also experiencing. And I think if they can hear that from an adult, they can hear that from someone they trust, it makes sense. Hey, you you made it. Up. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Why do you think they teach you guys to not merge that boundary? Because I guess in my first experience as a student, every teacher that I think so highly of 
they're not afraid to talk about their personal life or what they do with their son or what sports team they like. All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the very first episode of The Crosswalk, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Cross Fuller. And I have a special guest with me today. His name is Cody Martin. Uh, he is a high school teacher at Bearden High School. Um, he teaches AP Human Geography as well as Leadership uh, 1, 2, and 3 for all four years. Um, and I have him with me here today. Why do you think that that's, that transition is slowly happening? I think a lot of teachers are worried about losing control of the classroom, that if they become too friendly, then they can't discipline. But I think it's the opposite. The more I open up with you, the more I feel like I can tell you, hey, that was not okay, or you know, the, the dreaded, I'm disappointed in what you did, mm. because that means more, yeah, because I've opened up. That's if a I haven't thing. opened up, and I say that, you're like, well, who's this guy? Why do I care what he has to say? Yeah, that's true. No, I can definitely say the disappointment card, it hurts. It's pretty <laughs> effective. Um, so to get back on to empathy um, with your classes and kind of what it means to you, um, how does empathy build the level of trust between a leader and his team or a leader and his follower or, in your case, your students? It's a, a long process. You know, I don't expect leadership one kids to fully open up to me. And same, I don't open up fully to them until leadership too, until we've, we've spent a semester together, we've kind of talked about things, and, and we, you know, we read these things called the habitudes, and they open up a lot about how to interact and character building, and I think that's where I can provide some examples of things in my life. And so the more they hear me doing that, the more they are willing to open up. But Yeah, no, that, I mean, I think you're right on the money. Um, and I think you've tied, you kind of talked about it, and it's the last segment we have with empathy, and I think we've, you know, nailed it on the T. How does listening and empathy go hand in hand? And I'll even add on top of that, what extent does listening and questions play with empathy? I think a lot of students feel like they're never heard, so I think you have to listen to them. Um, and listening is a very hard thing to do because even as we're talking right now and I'm listening to the questions in my head I'm thinking a few steps ahead and so it's easy for me to get lost in the question mm -hmm. so being able to sit down and truly listen to someone and understand what they're coming where they're coming from shows that you care and that's where it shows that empathy and it shows that they can even open up more um but we've talked about different types of listening and, 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 and stuff like that. So it's being able to listen without a goal in mind. It's just to listen. That's powerful. So without a goal in mind, can you expand on that? Sometimes like in a te like as a teacher, if I'm in, in teacher role and I'm listening to questions, I'm trying to direct you to somewhere, to an answer. So I'm asking you questions, listening to what you're saying, and I'm trying to steer you in a way to get to an answer. You're guiding them to understand. Exactly. Yeah. In leadership listening, I'm not there to guide you. Um, I'm there to listen and let you 
It's self-discovery. the conversation. Self-discovery, what mm-hmm. you do in Leadership One. Yeah. And that's why I show that movie clip. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. It's a great movie, Big Kahuna. But it talks about listening. And the moments you lay your hands on a conversation, it's no longer listening. It's a sales pitch. And you become a salesperson. And I don't want to be that. I want to be just the soundboard for someone to listen. That the, the students can open up to and just know that I'm listening. And if they want me to share advice, if they want me to say something, I will. But sometimes people just need to get things off their chest without... Feedback. Feedback, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's very powerful. And my last question and uh, is how can we implement, I guess, empathy within our leadership? Like what steps can we as the audience start taking? I think you have to take that leap of faith and trust other people. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and that's a scary thing for high schoolers. It's a scary thing for adults. Um, but the more vulnerable you can be, the more impact you have on people. And it's counterintuitive to what the world tells us to do, which is keep everything inside. Don't let people know where you're vulnerable. Don't let people know where you hurt. And that does not create a, a, an overall good experience for people. We're meant to have relationships with people. We're meant to open up to people. Um, so just being able to be that vulnerable and be willing to even get hurt at times uh, will help you grow. Fair. No, I think well said. All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Martin, for joining me in the first episode of The Thanks Crosswalk. Thanks for having me. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.